0: We're celebrating a gift of God to our church in two new elders, two new deacons. Friends, just as Zach read early, Jesus is the great pastor, the great servant of the church. But Jesus, for our good, has given us what the Bible in Ephesians 4 calls gifts gifts of human leadership. And this morning, we receive two gifts this morning, and elders, two gifts by way of deacons. And we're going to take those one at a time. First, we're going to uh, install our elders. So I'm going to invite our two new elders to please come and join me here, um, Caleb Bohan and Zach McCain. If you will just stand up here. Beside me, I will be grateful. And let me just tell you from a, a personal perspective, this is a great blessing to me personally to have these brothers to be able to lock arms with, to serve Jesus in this church side by side. And what you're looking at is not only a gift to the church, but it is a gift to me personally. We are now together for the gospel in shepherding this church and I thank God for that. And so let me read for you, and, and I encourage you to please turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter five, as we consider the role and responsibility of elders. First Peter chapter five. Peter was one of the elders of the church. And he exhorts the elders throughout every generation. And here's God's word to elders in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Brothers, these are our marching orders. Notice here that Peter contains his exhortation to us in one particular phrase and then gives us five ways to do that one thing. His charge to us is shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And he uses the metaphor of a shepherd because it is so appropriate. This is God's flock. God purchased His church with the blood of his lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And shepherding God's flock under the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, is is a common calling. But it is an important, a hard, and a relational work. And so as we think about shepherds out in a field, shepherding the sheep, we think of elders, elders. Shepherding, pastoring the flock of God here in Winchester. And then the rest of this is Peter explaining how to shepherd. Notice that there are five things. We shepherd by overseeing the flock. Leading, feeding, caring for, and protecting. Notice he says shepherd a flock that is among you. How? Exercising oversight. Titus. He was charged to set elders in every church. And Paul told Titus that the elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. God shepherds his flock through his word. And so we are quintessentially men of the word. Number two, we shepherd out of a desire to serve, not a duty. Do you see there in verse 2? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. There are a lot of hard things about shepherding, but brothers, it is a joy. And I know these two join me out of desire to serve this flock, not out of compulsion or duty. Number three, we shepherd how? eagerly. Notice that, eagerly by giving ourselves to the sheep, not taking from them. We, we don't do it for shameful gain. We give it for what we, uh, we do this for what we can give rather than what we can get. And the fourth thing there in verse three, we shepherd by example. Shepherds lead from the front. They don't drive from the rear. So we don't domineer over those in our charge, but we're examples of the flock. And then finally, we shepherd in the light of the chief shepherd. You're not looking at the chief shepherds here. We're lowercase s shepherds, there is a capital S shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down His life for us. And as the chief shepherd of God's flock, He purchased God's flock with His own blood. Paul to the elders at Ephesus said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. The church is a precious, precious flock to God. And that chief shepherd has entrusted this church to these under-shepherds And he will return for this church and his church. And when he does, friends, he will call these shepherds into account. So we see in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the unfading crown of glory. That for faithful shepherds. But God has very stern words for those who are not faithful. May God, by his grace, keep us faithful. So, Caleb and Zach, having been called by the elders, uh, to be elders, by the Lord Jesus Christ, affirmed as such by his church, And enabled solely by his grace, I ask you to make the following pledges of faithfulness to the Lord and to his church as you fulfill this calling. There are five pledges that these brothers will make to the Lord and to us this morning. The first one is a pledge of faithfulness to the scriptures. Caleb and Zach, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? If you do, say, I do.
1: I do. I do.
0: Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of his word and with the help of his spirit? in accordance with the confession covenant and constitution of this church and in mutual submission with your fellow elders if you will say i will i will I will. will you conduct your own personal life and the life of your family according to the pattern of jesus christ and to make yourself a wholesome example to this church? If so, say, I will. I will. Caleb and Zach, will you study the scriptures diligently and call upon God in prayer for the true understanding of them so that you may be able to teach sound doctrine and guard against false doctrine? If so, say, I will. I will. And finally... Relying on the grace of God alone, will you take the responsibility of eldership in the life of this church to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, to devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word, and to shepherd God's flock whom Christ purchased with his own blood so that Winchester Baptist Church may be blessed? If so, say, I will. And just as these elders have made this pledge to you, members, the New Testament calls for a response of the members of the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and 17 says this to the church. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Verse 17, members, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So members of Winchester Baptist Church, would you please stand? And I ask you, please, members only, to take this pledge. Do you, the members of Winchester Baptist Church, publicly recognize Caleb and Zach as elders and receive them as a gift of Christ to this church? If you do, say, we do. We do. And secondly, as directed in these scriptures that I just read, will you love them as brothers, honor them as elders, and pray for them as ministers so that our worship community and mission may display the gospel and glory of Christ. If so, say, we will. We will. Caleb and Zach, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good, so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's church said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm going to invite our former elders to come, Nick and Rob, and pray over these new elders. As the Bible says, we will lay hands on them. And as one of our former deacons uh, said, would you please let these guys just stand? Because every time we have to kneel on that hardwood floor, it really is a painful process. (laughs) So we're going to let them stand. But if you guys will lay your hands on these brothers, and then Rob, on behalf of the three of us, is going to pray so.
2: Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning uh, for how for how you have worked in these two men and caused them to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we rejoice in your sanctifying work in Zach and Caleb, uh, to raise them up as servants to your kingdom. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus Christ, we would also thank you that you have given these men to us for our benefit. Uh, We would be impoverished without elders whom you've set aside. We, We would be more spiritually weak. We would be more vulnerable to the temptations of our own flesh and to the world and the devil if it were not for the oversight of godly elders so thank you lord jesus christ for blessing us for giving us yes. indeed these gifts yes. we we would pray this morning lastly jesus that you would work in these men that you would burden them with the things that burden you yes that that the things that concern you most would weigh heavily on their hearts. Yes. I, I pray that you would lead them. Lead them in paths of righteousness yes, Lord, for your namesake. For for in that way they will lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yes. So please bless Caleb and Zach. For their sake? Uh, for our sake. Yes and for the sake of your kingdom yes. please jesus amen
0: amen amen well they are shaking hands and hugging you can be turning to 1st Timothy chapter 3 and you guys can be seated Don't get too far, though, because you're going to be coming back to pray over our two new deacons. Caleb served as a deacon for a number of years. Jonathan Horton served as a deacon for a number of years. These two men are no longer deacons. Uh, David Portmus is still serving as a deacon. He is now the supreme, high, and most... (laughs) We have two new deacons to serve along with David and to complete this team. Logan Thompson is being called by our church as the deacon of technology, so Logan, please join us, and Josh Hahn is being called by our church as a deacon of finance. So if these two brothers will come and stand here as the elders did just a minute ago. Brothers, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for being willing to serve our church. Thank you for being willing to um, serve the Lord by serving our church. And when we considered you we read in particular 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 8 through 13 so do you have your copy of God's word are you looking at 1 Timothy 3 verse 8 through 13 these give a sense of the qualification of deacons and a bit of the ministry and also the reward of serving as deacons it's not all work it's a lot of hope and joy in this as well. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, having just talked about elders, Paul talks to the local church there in Ephesus and his man Timothy about deacons. And he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them first also be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified and not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful exhortation? Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith. There is a benefit to serving God and his church. It's a reciprocal relationship. The benefit is all ours, brother. You serve us, and yet there is a grace that pours back to you. You gain a great confidence in the faith. It's a sanctifying, preserving experience to serve God's church. And there's reward. And so, brothers, just as we did the elders, I will ask you to make a pledge, a threefold pledge. First to the gospel, then to a life of godliness, and finally to this church Logan and Josh, the scriptures teach that a deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So I ask you, with a clear conscience, do you reaffirm your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and hold to his gospel as it is defined in our confession of faith? If so, say, I do. And you've been called to the office of deacon because we see God's grace in the godliness of your character, the steadfastness of your faith, the reliability of your service, and in the faithfulness of your home. So by God's grace, will you continue to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? If so, say, I will. And then finally, deacons, as we read, are charged with the responsibility to care for the practical ministries and promote the unity within the church so that the elders can devote their attention to shepherding the church through the word and prayer. Now, this partnership with elders and deacons serving together for the gospel promotes the health of our church and displays the gospel and glory of Christ. So will you now accept the office of deacon out of a love for God, a desire to partner with the elders to serve this church, and a commitment to advance the gospel and glory of Christ. If so, say, I will. I will. Logan and Josh, may you serve well as deacons and thereby gain a good standing for yourself and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna ask our current elders now to come and let's pray over these brothers. And would you please come, Dave, and join us. Let's lay our hands on these brothers and I'm gonna ask Caleb to please lead us in prayer on behalf of all of us.
1: Lord Jesus, we thank you for Josh and Logan who have been recognized by our church to serve in the areas of finance and technology. We pray that you would give them wisdom to lead these areas well. Please give them wisdom to solve problems and lead their teams. We pray that their service to our church would add unity around the gospel, lead to greater opportunity for our whole church to fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples. We trust that you will answer our prayers through the Holy Spirit for your glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Amen,
0: It is appropriate that these men have an opportunity to respond to the call. And so uh, one by one, I'll ask them to come and we'll start with um, the deacons, if they would please, um, Logan and Josh, and we'll let you fight it out as to who goes first. And then we'll uh, ask the elders to come and just share a brief
3: response to the call that we've given them this morning. Josh pointed at me and he's stronger than I am, so I will just <laughs> go <laughs> and make this quick. But uh, anyway, Winchester Baptist friends and uh, family, just maybe simply a, a word to say how grateful I am for the opportunity to, to serve, to continue serving this church, but certainly now to serve. in. Um, in this capacity and help facilitate one of the very practical ministries of our church. And um, I would offer a, a ministry that we hope kind of stays in the background and doesn't get a lot of fanfare and and that sort of thing. Um, because um, the goal is certainly not that. It's, it's to help um, facilitate our worship here publicly. And then if you think about it, beyond the walls of this building and technology is certainly a way that lets us do that now more than ever. Um, I wanted to again thank Caleb uh, for his leadership on this team, leading the team for the last several years. Uh, you may not know that we recently replaced our our soundboard and um, all that came along with that upgrade. Uh, Caleb bore the uh, certainly the hours and the uh, the work for that. Um, maybe a service bulletin to announce that we are not quite done t- tweaking and tuning that. Uh, so. I appreciate your patience as we work through that, but I wanted to thank Caleb again and all your work, man. Appreciate you, brother. Um, and then I, I just want to, again, commit by God's grace to continuing that ministry that he started with the help of a great team, many of, of which are seated here today, all so that we can advance the gospel and the glory of, of Christ through our church. Um, appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity and God bless.
4: When when I was uh, reading through uh, First Timothy and and other passages, I I was struck by how much the deacon role um, qualifications come down to family, and I want to talk a little bit real quick uh, within my time, I guess, uh, about my wife. Emily and I were married um, almost exactly 22 years ago, and um, she had just turned 20. We were young, and I wasn't—I was young, and— um, I didn't want to go to church, and my wife pulled me to church um, every week, and she had the grace to keep pulling me even when I wouldn't go, and uh, she is a big part of the reason why I'm here today. I didn't deserve the grace she showed me and continues to show me, but she gave it nonetheless. Um, Imperfect churches were a convenient thing for me to point to to distract at my own sin. And thanks and glory to God for waking me to my sin at that time and drawing me close, abruptly, on occasion. um, I didn't deserve the grace God showed me, but in Christ he gave it to me nonetheless. And I was struck this week. um, There's a moment in in John chapter 21 um, before that Peter had, if you recall, Peter had denied Christ three times. And in John chapter 21, Jesus um, turns to to Peter and says, "Um, do you love me, Peter? And he did this three times. And and Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Uh, There's so much grace in that moment with Peter. Uh, There's grace to be (laughs) forgiven there's grace to know that you're forgiven for that assurance and um, appropriate for today there's grace in that moment for Peter to have been empowered to serve the church which is what I want to do today and I pray that you pray for me and help me do that well even in a um, you know a practical ministry I also want to thank Jonathan for teaching me I don't you may not know it but he's been teaching me for about five months and I'm still have a lot to learn he's still going to be teaching me it's a, It's a complex job that I hopefully, if I've done something wrong, you'll know about. So please pray for me, and and thank you for this opportunity.
1: This might be a little less personal, at least at first. Our church constitution says about elders... In keeping with the principles set forth in Acts 6, one through six, and 1 Peter 5, one through four, the elders shall devote their time to prayer, the ministry of the word, and shepherding the flock of God. Subject to the will of the congregation, the elders shall oversee the ministry and resources of the church. The elders shall take particularly particular responsibility to examine and instruct prospective members examine and recommend all candidates for offices and positions, oversee the work of deacons and appointed church agents and committees, conduct worship services, administer the ordinances of baptism and communion, equip the membership for the work of the ministry, encourage sound doctrine and practice, admonish and correct error, ensure that all who minister the word to the congregation share our fundamental convictions, oversee the process of church discipline, coordinate and promote the ministries of the church, and mobilize the church for world missions," end quote. That's a lot. (laughs) Even with these responsibilities given to a plurality or a team, this is no small responsibility. Two months ago, I made the decision, I told Tim that I would be willing to serve Winchester Baptist as an elder. Since then I have thought over and over again, I cannot do this. (laughs) And it's true, I can't do this on my own power or in my own strength. I must lean on the triune God to give me the strength and power that I need to follow him and fulfill the promises that I just made to you and to him. By God's help, I will fulfill those promises, but I need you, we need you all to fulfill the promises that you have made. Love me, love us enough to correct us when we need it, but more importantly pray for all of us, all the elders and the deacons that we would have wisdom to take care of both our other responsibilities such as being husbands, fathers, and employees, but also to care for this church, for Winchester Baptist Church, Christ's church. It's not our church, although it is our church. It's Christ's church, according to his word. The elders shall take particular responsibility to equip the membership for the work of the ministry. I believe this is the primary responsibility the Lord has given to elders. But it shows that the members of this church have the responsibility to do the work of the ministry. The health and witness of this church are not only our responsibility as elders, but yours as members. If we are all faithful to do the work that God has given us, by God's grace, this church will continue to be healthy and glorify God. Thank you. Hey. thank you. I kept coming back
5: to, um, Caleb, thank you for that. Uh, I, I kept coming back to the pages of Ephesians when I was thinking about this response. What, what does a new elder say to his church? I just want to draw our attention a little bit to the picture of that Paul gives us of the church in Ephesians. Um, I was looking at, at that passage that we, that we read in the call to worship before I realized it was going to be the call to worship. Uh, so I'm not going to read that again. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Um, listen to this. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints Amen. and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This this picture of of the church being built up on the foundation of the word, on Christ and the word, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Church, God is building us together. We're a local reflection of this universal reality. God is building us together stone by stone. And I've I've had the opportunity to see that here in beautiful ways, um, ways that I've not seen it in many other places. As the word is faithfully taught, as believers take seriously the word of God and build their lives on it, as lives are knit together here in beautiful relationships that reflect the unity of the church and the faith. This Family is a beautiful picture of the growing temple in the Lord. And so when we read just a little bit later on, like we read earlier, uh, about the giving of the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. By the way, we're, that's what we are, the shepherds and teachers, right? That's us. When we read that, I'm astounded that God would ask me to be a part of that. That that God would call us as, as elders and shepherds to build up the church to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that God said, you can have a part in that. I want to use you for that. And so it's my desire, church, to labor toward that end. That this local church would be built up even to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mean, it's not up to me, but but God has given me that part to play. God has given Tim and Caleb that part to play, called specifically there. And so I thought that I would just lay before you the prayer of Paul for the church in Ephesus as he, as he builds this. I'm just gonna finish with this because he says it so much better than me. This is my prayer for this church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom And of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to to come. Listen to this church. He put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.
2: Amen.
5: So would you pray for me and, and I will pray for you that the Lord would would work to build us up to the fullness. To measure the stature of the fullness of Christ. And now we get to sing. No, we don't. No, we don't.
0: That's right. Thank you. Now we don't. I'm the one who messed up the, uh, the responses were supposed to come when we prayed for them, then let them respond. But I messed that up. I forgot. So, so it's now I have an opportunity to charge these brothers and to charge our church um, about this beautiful gift that the Lord has given us. So. Would you please um, find your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts? You know, there's really only a few New Testament texts that feature elders and deacons together. There's not very many. There's only a few. But one of the primary texts is sort of the genesis of it all. It's where it all began. And elders and deacons. Deacons are not necessarily named there, but we see the prototypes in the apostles and in those who were set aside. And that is in Acts chapter 6. And I believe that that is uh, in the early 900s if you're using one of the Bibles at your feet. Thank you. Acts chapter 6, we're reading verse 1 through 7 today. And what this text does is it helps us to understand the role of elders and deacons, not just as they serve the church, but as they work together, because it's a leadership team. And this is sort of where it all started, at least for the church specifically. Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, in, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's God's word. Amen. Sort of the genesis of elders and deacons we see here through the 12, the apostles, and these seven whom they set aside for this particular role. I want you to notice, first of all, that chapter 6 is well into the story of the church, So we've had five chapters of the history of God's church going on in Jerusalem at this time when we come to chapter six. And if you've never recognized before, there's a distinct pattern in the history of the church that I want to point out for you. And and you might feel like I'm laboring the point for just a moment and you'll be right to think that. I want you to see this pattern. So go back to the beginning of Acts And look at chapter one, and what you're going to see is that the commission of Christ, the head of the church, is given to the early church. Not just the 12, but all his disciples who were gathered there. Chapter one, the commission is given. Chapter two, the Spirit is sent. Why is the Spirit sent? To fulfill the commission. And so what we have is Christ commissioning them to go out and preach the gospel from Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And he promises that he will be with them and that he will give them the power of the Holy Spirit to do so. And then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, the power to accomplish the great commission comes on the church. The commission was given, the Spirit was sent. And then look at chapter 2, verse 14. The pattern begins. There's only one commission, there's only one Spirit. But here the pattern begins. Chapter 2, verse 14. The gospel was preached. Peter preached there that day in Jerusalem. And then look at chapter 2, verse 37. What happens next? Disciples are made. The gospel was preached. Disciples are made. See in verse 38. They're cut to the heart. They say to Peter, what shall we do? And then in verse Peter 8 uh, 38, Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is preached, disciples are made, and then what happens next? Chapter 2, verse 41, the church is established. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Drop down at the end of the chapter, verse 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what happens next? Chapter 3, verse 1, the gospel is preached again. The gospel is preached. Disciples are made. The church is established. So what does the church do? Chapter 3, the gospel is preached again. But notice what happens next. Chapter 4, difficulty occurs. Anytime the church is established and the gospel is preached, you can expect difficulty to occur. Chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're hauled before the Jewish council. And what happens there? Chapter 4, verse 4 disciples are made. Verse, chapter 4, verse 23, the church is unified. Chapter 5, what happens next? Difficulty occurs. <laughs> uh, this time Peter and John are arrested. Uh, pardon me, uh, in chapter 5, verse 1, Ananias and Sapphira, they hold back proceeds from land that they sold from God. And in the midst of that difficulty, what happens? Chapter 5, verse 12, look at it for yourself. The gospel is preached. Verse 14, disciples are made. Do you see the pattern? The gospel is preached, disciples are made, the church is unified, difficulty occurs. In the midst of the difficulty, the gospel is preached. Disciples are made. The church is unified. So what happens next? Chapter 5, verse 17. Difficulty occurs. This time the apostles are arrested and beaten. What happens now? The apostles, our leaders, are all arrested and beaten. Chapter 5, verse 42. The gospel is preached. The gospel is preached. And so what do you expect to happen next in our text? Chapter 6, verse 1. Disciples are made. Look at chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were what? Increasing in number. When the gospel is preached and disciples are made, and the church is established and unified, and difficulty occurs, God uses that difficulty to preach the gospel, make more disciples, and unify the church. This is God's pattern. And so in chapter 6, verse 1, disciples are made, and then what? Part B. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. There it is. Difficulty occurs. (laughs) Man, this is a repeating pattern. The problem here in chapter 6, our text for this week, there was a discrepancy in the daily distribution of food where some of the widows, whether this was intentional or not, some of the widows were being neglected. It was along ethnic lines, which makes the situation much more fragile and volatile. Notice that this dispute, this complaint, is between two groups of Christians, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. All Christians, all part of the church, but there are two distinct groups here, and the Hellenists are being neglected. Now, Studies tell us that uh, the Hellenists made up to about 10 to 20 percent of that new population of believers there in Jerusalem. It was a new and emerging group of Jews who spoke Greek. Hellenists is the Greek language, and they not only were Jews who spoke Greek, but they also embraced the Greek culture. That was controversial at the time, and likely causing disunity in the church. And now the Hellenists, hey, our widows are being neglected. You didn't give the daily distribution to our widows like you took care of the Hebrews, those traditional Jews who still are speaking the Hebrew language and maintaining the thousand-year-old 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 year old Jewish culture. The lesson is simple here for us. This difficulty is the natural result of getting sinners together in the same place at the same time, right? It happens over and over again. You put sinners in the same room, there's going to be difficulty. But notice what happens here in chapter 6. God does not Allow the difficulty to break his church. He allows the difficulty to make his church better, just as he has done for five chapters now. When the gospel is preached and disciples are made and difficulty comes, the church is unified. And how does God do that here in chapter six? Leaders are appointed. Verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint, who we will appoint to this duty. Look at verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. The Hebrews were happy, then Hellenists were happy. And what was the result? Please don't overlook this. In fact, if you underline your Bibles, underline of this. What happens when difficulty arises and God appoints leaders? Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The pattern just keeps continuing. Leaders are appointed, and the church is unified. Verse 7a. Verse 7b. Disciples are made. But guess what happens in verse 8? Difficulty arises. Stephen preaches. And the local authorities in the synagogue don't like his preaching He's taken before the high priest. And what happens in the midst of the difficulty that Stephen experiences? Chapter 7 and chapter 8, the gospel is preached. Disciples are made and the church is unified. Brothers and sisters, difficulty occurs over and over and over again. And God ordains difficulty. God is sovereign over difficulty. And God uses difficulty to sanctify strengthen and unify his church. And one of the ways that he does that is by using leaders. So this morning, from this text, I want you to see that leaders, elders and deacons, are one of God's great blessings for the advance of his gospel and the flourishing of his church. The leaders here are not an afterthought. God has always had his men, his servants to lead his people. Go back to the earliest days with the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then go to Moses and Joshua, on to the kings like David, and throughout all of history, the prophets and the priests and the kings. And Jesus calls his 12, appoints them as apostles. And what do they do here in chapter 6? They appoint elders and deacons. So this morning, God ordains deacons. And God ordains elders. And I just want to take a few moments for these deacons, Josh and Logan, for these elders, to look at this text and see what it is that we're charged to by God's word today. We're going to look at them in that order. Deacons first and elders second. So first of all, God ordained deacons to promote unity and meet practical needs in his church. Do you see that in this text? What were these 7 men appointed to do? So often we hear about deacons as table waiters, and we think that's so wonderful and cool that here are these men, great men like Stephen and Philip who was an evangelist. They're just table waiters, sure they are. No. Friends, These deacons were first called to do what? Promote unity between the two groups that were about to split the church. These were men who were full of wisdom and God's spirit because deacons are not just table waiters. They are, as Jamie Dunlap at Capitol Hill writes, they are shock absorbers. Deacons... Your primary uh, responsibility in the church is to promote unity. Our grandparent church, Capitol Hill, one of the brothers there, Jamie Donlop, wrote this, deacons are shock absorbers. The seven men chosen by the church in Jerusalem to care for the widows were chosen to distribute food equitably, yes. But more than that, to restore unity where there was division. Unity building was their primary goal. Good administration was the means to accomplish that goal. So deacons, this morning, you're called to promote unity in this church. Unity because, as Galatians 3 says, there is Neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for we are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Your job is to promote unity as a fulfillment of the prayer of Jesus. When Jesus prayed in John 17, that they, the church, may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory which you have given to me. I have given to them so that they may be one even as we are One, Jesus says, when the world sees the unity of the church, the world will believe in the unity of the Trinity. The gospel is preached, disciples are made, and the gospel advances through the unity of the church. Unity, brother deacons, is your primary goal because the gospel is displayed by unity within diversity. Not despite it, but because of it. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, church, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. How do you do that? eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Deacons, you're called to promote the unity of this church. And how do you do it? by meeting the practical needs of this church, by serving in practical ways, whether that's finance or facilities or technology. Your goal is to get this church serving one another so that we get away from serving ourselves and looking at ourselves and thinking about others and serving others. So these men were appointed to take care of daily distribution of food so that single moms and widows could be taken care of. You're called to technology or finances. But brother, it's not ultimately about the facilities. You're a servant leader. And your calling is so that the gospel can be preached, disciples can be made, and the church can be unified, healthy, and flourishing. The end of technology is the advance of the gospel and the glory of Christ. The end of our finances is the advance of the gospel and the glory of Christ. This is no small task. It's not just about the building and the grass. It's the advance of the gospel and the glory of Christ through a church that is unified and on mission together. Logan and Josh, may God give you his grace to promote unity and serve the practical needs of this church for his glory through our church. Elders, we see here that God has called us as elders to pray and to minister the word while these brothers are promoting unity and serving practical needs. Look in verse 4 the apostles at that time said, we're going to appoint you to this and here's what we're going to do. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves. Circle the word devote. We will devote ourselves to two things, prayer and the ministry of the word. Fellow elders, I can promise you it's too easy to devote ourselves to decision-making and problem-solving. Let's devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Elders here are to devote ourselves to prayer. Why? Because Psalm 34 promises that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Because Isaiah 56 says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for what? All nations. We devote ourselves to prayer because Jesus rose early and went out to a desolate place and prayed. Brother elders, let's devote ourselves to prayer because James 5.16 says this, The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. And Philippians 4 tells us, When we feel the cares and anxieties and the problems of the church, do not be anxious about anything, brother elder, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Let's devote ourselves to prayer. We'll devote ourselves to prayer for the same reason that Paul asked the church to pray for him. Because in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, Please pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ so that we can make it clear, which is how we ought to speak. And we devote ourselves to prayer. Because God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How could we not devote ourselves to prayer? What fools we would be to not be men devoted to prayer. On behalf of this church. Henry Fish said prayer is half of an elders ministry that gives the other half all its power and success. (laughs) This text tells us elders to be devoted to prayer but not just the prayer to the ministry of the Word. And so it it is the elders' responsibility to take God's Word and lead, feed, protect God's people. We minister the Word because as the 1689 Confession declares, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient certain, infallible rule of all-saving knowledge and faith. Church, the Word of God is the final authority for our faith and practice. That's why our very first promise that we make in our church covenant is this. We will submit ourselves to Christ. Through his word. Because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Does that sound like what we need as a church? Oh, we need teaching and reproof and correction, and training in righteousness. And the end of that is so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Christian, do you want to be complete, mature, and equipped for every good work? There's no way to get it without the word of God. This church will never go beyond our ministry of God's word. God's word reveals God. It points us to Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from what? The word of Christ. Jesus said, it's the food of your souls. Man, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fellow elders, we must devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. Because ever how good you think your leadership and pastoral counsel is, it's only the word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and the marrow, and discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So Zach, Caleb, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God, Colossians 3, 16. And as the word of God fills us, may the word of God fill this church. Because it's the word of God that is our book of church order. May it saturate our public worship services and our private pastoral council. May the word of God always, always, always be the substance and center of our teaching and preaching. Caleb and Zach, as you... Join with me to shepherd this church. May God give you his grace to devote yourselves to prayer in the ministry of of his word so that his gospel will be preached, disciples will be made, our church will be unified and healthy for his glory. In church, we've already seen that just as we elders have been called to this task, you have been called to remember your leaders, those who, quote, spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. Not because it's them, but because they're bringing you the word of God as the authority for our faith and practice. And we'll stand before God for it. We'll stand before God for how we shepherd you. But Hebrews 13 turns that back on you, brothers and sisters. Hebrews 13 says, They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So may our ministry of God's word and our leadership through God's word be an advantage. To your souls. Friends, this morning we have seen that one of God's great blessings to His church is leaders, elders and deacons who are appointed to serve under the authority of Christ, empowered with the Spirit of Christ, always with the Word of Christ, in view of the difficulties, so that. This church will be a faithful display of the gospel and glory of Christ to our city, our region, our nation, and our world. And may it be so. Let's pray together. Father, on this day, on this occasion, we thank you for the gift of these two new elders and these two new deacons. I pray that as they are installed and begin to serve, that by your grace you would make their ministry advantageous to making disciples and advancing your gospel in us and through us. I pray that you would grow us spiritually. I pray that you would make disciples of the children here, of our neighbors, of this community God, I pray that your glory would be seen by us, by those around us, by the angels that are watching. I pray that you would declare your glory through Winchester Baptist Church. And we'll thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please let's stand.